as we enter this week, as we enter this time, as we come into this moment, it was really cool as I looked at the calendar because as we came together on Easter, and how cool was Easter as we gathered together, right? And as I looked at the calendar, I realized, hey, we're going to gather on the first Sunday of May, and then we're going to gather together on the first Sunday of June. And the really cool thing about that is that that first Sunday of June is the Sunday of Pentecost. And I knew that it was going to be Pentecost because as I looked at this calendar, I realized that it was setting up for that because uh, Pentecost is always that seventh Sunday, 50 days following Easter, hence our term Pentecost, Pent, right, meaning 50. So we've got this time period that we know is on the church calendar. We know that that's going to happen. And as I looked at that, I thought about how cool is this that we're going to gather on what's called Pentecost Sunday. And if you aren't sure what Pentecost Sunday is, I talked about it on a live stream a few weeks ago. I'm going to go into it again today. Pentecost is honestly one of the coolest days that we celebrate in what's called the Christian year. And what's cool about this is that there are people all over our world that are celebrating Pentecost with us today. Churches scattered around the world who look and say, hey, there is a calendar that is beyond just Christmas and Easter, but has all of these other dates that help connect us to the story that we find in Scripture and the story of the church that God is continuing to tell, not just 2,000 years ago through Jesus and through the disciples, but through you and through me. And the story of Pentecost connects us to that story. It connects through all of these generations of people who gave their lives to following Jesus, who entered this reality of the church, the gathering of God's people in local places, around the world, his Holy Spirit working through. I get excited about this because this is what we get to be a part of. You know, it's not just about us. And I think it's so important to be reminded of that because it's so easy in our American mentality to think, well, the story's all about me. We have a tendency to think about our personal relationship with Jesus instead of the corporate reality that we are gathered into a family. That is one of the gifts is to look and to realize and look around and realize that we are not alone that we are part of a great story being told. And then we look around and we realize it's not just us as a church either, that we are a part of a greater story being told, that we are one expression of his great church. And so today we gather on this Pentecost Sunday, this important date set in the, in the church calendar that commemorates the birth of the church. And as I thought about it, I said, how cool is this? Not just that it's Pentecost Sunday, we get to celebrate all of this stuff, but that we get to talk about, that we get to celebrate the birth of the church. And I think that's cool because I think in so many ways here at Southeast, we are experiencing our own rebirth as a church. We, we came through the pandemic. We come into, I think, what is an endemic we know that there's still this thing and we're trying to figure things out, but as someone told me, they said, if you come out of that thing, in some way you haven't changed, in some way you're not different, then you didn't allow these moments, these years to have an impact on you. And I think that in some ways we need to realize that. 
We need to see that it allows us to think about our priorities. It allows us to think about the things that we're prioritizing. It allows us to think about what's important. It allows us as a church to step back and to go, who are we called to be and what are we called to do? So as we come into this moment, we come into this reality that we have an opportunity, and I don't want to miss opportunities, to think about the birth of the church and the rebirth of our church into the mission and vision that God has called us to do. Now, that mission and that vision is unique to Southeast because we're a local expression, but that mission and vision is also tied into what God has always been doing through the church, what Jesus has always been calling his followers to be, the kind of community that they're meant to be. So today, we're going to look at the story of Pentecost the story that we talked about just a few weeks ago. And then we're going to see how that story, where that story went. Because that story connects, it pushes, it goes forward into the future in an incredible way. And it gives us a picture, an image of the church that if we grab onto and we see it as a way that we can live and a way that we can be, we're going to see how it captivates the world and it captivates all of us in an incredible way. So listen to this in Acts 2. I apologize. I think my mic is popping because we have way too many wireless signals around our world today. So if it pops, just ignore it and listen to this story. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, the day of Pentecost, the day that we find ourselves in, think about this. This is so cool. A day. A time, a period, a, a place that we can look and say, we know we are celebrating this day today. When that day happened, they were all together in one place. They as the disciples of Jesus gathered together here. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages, tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when we heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians and Medes? And Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about that. We looked at the answer, what does this mean? And we connected it historically back to what does this mean? The powerful move of the Holy Spirit, that the, the, the way that the, the, the Jewish people experienced God as they left slavery in Egypt, as they experienced God, this, this wondrous sound and fire that called them to be the kind of people that they were called to be. And then we see this reflection of this happening in the story as the Holy Spirit rests upon these disciples, again with loud sounds and fire, calling them, telling them, you are called to be a people 
who are to tell God's story to this world. And listen, I just, as I was reading this just now, this really stood out to me. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Declaring the wonders of God. Sometimes I look around, sometimes I think about faith, sometimes I look at Christianity, sometimes I think about people who are loud about following Jesus, and sometimes I wonder, are they declaring the wonders of God, or is it something else? Oftentimes it looks like something else. Here the people experience the wonders of God, and what I ask myself and what I think about is, when people look at my life, when they, talk, when they say, hey, what, tell me about this you know, faith stuff, the thing you believe in, what's all this Jesus stuff all about? Do I tell a story that causes somebody to sit in wonder? Are they amazed by the wonders of God? Am I reflecting a reality in my own life that says God has done something and the only way that I can describe it is with the word wonder? Does it cause questions and intrigue? Does it captivate? Or have we made God so boring and so rules-based that it just turns into something that isn't full of wonder, that isn't captivating, that isn't interesting, that isn't filled with intrigue? I mean, the early church, when they had experience of the Holy Spirit, When God shows up in that room and says, hey, I'm calling you to be a people, your job is to tell the wonders of God. Fill this world with intrigue about God. You know what? That sounds hard, but it's not. In our world today, grace is captivating to people. In our world today, when you look around, forgiveness is captivating to people. Our world today is filled with hate in such a way that love, I mean real love, love that puts other people first, that actually, as we talked earlier today as a team, we said this whole Christianity thing is built on this idea of sacrifice, sacrifice, putting others before my needs. That idea is captivating in this world today. That's the kind of people we're supposed to be. Do people look and say, man, Christians are weird. They believe in this thing. They believe in love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. They accept people. They welcome people in. That seems strange. It should captivate people because we look and we sound different. We think about things in a different way. A few verses later, then Peter begins to talk about this. Because these people are looking around. They're going, what does this mean? What does this mean that these people, and I think, I think they're all going to take a twist on this, not just the fire, not just the sounds, not just the parts of the story that seem strange to us. What does it mean when people begin to be captivated by a message of love and grace and mercy? What does it mean when all of a sudden all these people in a faith that was centered on one group of people, all of a sudden becomes open to everybody. What does this mean that everybody is invited? What does this mean? So Peter, one of the disciples, begins to answer this question. He says this, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and in his tomb is here to this day. 
but he was a prophet, knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what has to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, and doesn't this sound a lot like our creed that we read earlier? Reminder of these things. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And I told you that we read this passage a few weeks ago. We talked about how this connected back through Scripture. It, it, it reflected the, the story, the call of the Israelite community as they were rescued from slavery in, aid, in Egypt and given a call by God to share his love with the world. And with similar imagery, with similar language, these disciples then were, then were given a similar call. In summary, of all of that 35-minute sermon, at that moment, in the experience of the disciples, and listen to this, this is so important. Aren't these just Galileans? What that phrase is telling us is that everyday people, these Galileans, these everyday people, with questions, with fear, with brokenness, wondering about what comes next for their future, they were restored in that moment. They were given hope in that moment. And most importantly, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and tell the entire world the good news of Jesus. What the people began to say was the wonders of God. That this good news captivated them. And then at that moment, at this moment on Pentecost, this moment right here, the church as we know it, followers of Jesus, united and empowered by the Holy Spirit, was born. So as I began to think about this, I began to reflect on this. I began to think, how, how do we communicate this? What does this mean to us today? Well, as the local church, a gathering of people following the way of Jesus we're to reflect this reality today. No matter where we are in that journey, as we set our eyes on the path that Jesus lays out before us, we're to follow him into a life of love and grace and mercy. And we're to recognize that we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who we see in this story unites and powers and guides us. Just the way that the Holy Spirit united, empowered, and guided the disciples. And that is what Peter points to as he's answering that question is what does this mean? In, in those verses, he was saying, listen, something powerful happened with the resurrection of Jesus. With the resurrection of Jesus, a new reality was set in motion. A, a new reality happened at that moment, at that place. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out on these people so that they would be witnesses to that new reality. Now listen, I want our kids to hear this today because for some reason, I don't know what it is about our kids, our kids have way bigger imaginations than any of us have. As I was talking about the Lego, as I was talking about all those things, sometimes I'll walk downstairs and I'll be like, what have you built? 
what did you do? And I'll be like, well, now we've got to get the directions out. We have to put it back the way it's supposed to be. And they're like, no, we just want to build. We just want to make up stories. We just want to make crazy stuff. And they have this incredible imagination. Well, here's the deal. Sometimes when we get into church, sometimes we get into our faith, we lose our imagination. Guys, we are called as people to have prophetic imagination. And what I mean by that is that we look at the world not as the world is, but what the world should be. Because our eyes are not set in this world. Our eyes have a glimpse of heaven. Through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, our lives, us, just us, normal, everyday people, have been given a glimpse of what is possible. And through the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to say heaven doesn't stay there. It's not just imagination. It's lived out in this world in the here and now. And that is the super incredible, crazy thing about this. So guys, kids, use your imaginations. And when you look at this world, don't become cynical. Don't become, don't, don't become, don't look at this world and say, oh, things will always be like this. Look at this world and say, this world can be better. Look at this world and say, this world can be more loving. This world can be a world where there is more forgiveness. That's the world we want you to live in, and we want you to live that out, and we want you to help us live that out because we don't have the imagination anymore. So God, help us to have that imagination. And kids, help us to imagine that world. Peter begins to point that out. He begins to say that. And then, guys, he lands this line for us. He says this, Therefore, so in light of all of that, in the light of Jesus' resurrection, setting into motion a whole different way that the world can be, if you could just imagine and allow the Holy Spirit to work through your lives to see it, he says, as a result of all of that, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, and he hits him pretty hard, whom you crucified. He says, Jesus showed us the way things could be, and your lack of prophetic imagination, you said, no, 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 it's too far, it's too far, it's too much. He said, well, God didn't let the story in there. He says, Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and and Messiah. So let's talk about these words real quick. Lord and Messiah. What these words mean is that we recognize that God's kingdom is a present reality. What we recognize is that when we think about that world as it's supposed to be, when we use our imagination and imagine a world of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness that knows no bounds, that that is a present reality. And what the Lord and Messiah peace here reminds us is that he is the king of that kingdom. And through his salvation, because he is the Messiah, the one who saves, we're made citizens of that reality. I wrote it down this way. He rescued us from the sin and brokenness that has come to define this world and brought us into this new world way of life 
a taste of what is to come when God fully restores, renews, and redeems everything. He is Lord. He is the king of that kingdom. And he has saved us to participate in it. He has said, you don't have to live in the ugliness of this world any longer. Let me show you. Come follow me. Give your life to me and I will show you how this world can be as it is in heaven. What he says is you can't do it on your own. It's made real through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And then when the people present that day, when they heard Peter preach this message, they responded. And listen to how they responded. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on in verse 39. I don't think I put it on the screen, but he goes on. He says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And I look at that and I think, how cool is that for Peter? That Peter says to these people right in front of him, he says, this is what you need to do. Repent, be baptized, every one of you. Make him your Lord and Messiah. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, but it's not just for you. Peter has this moment of revelation. He says, it's not just about us. It's about people yet to come and the people after them and their children and all those who choose to follow. So this story is about these disciples. The story is about the people who heard the message. This story is about a generation of us who are learning this story and understanding this story. And this story is for our kids. Follow Jesus and let him lead you into his kingdom. So Peter gives us these two words. He says that he was made Lord and Messiah. And to us, he says, we are to repent and be baptized. He says, Jesus was Lord and Messiah. And to us, he says, repent and be baptized. So quick, quick word study here to repent just means simply this, to turn, to walk away, to walk away from how we have lived and into something new. I know we hear that word repent and you expect somebody to beat a pulpit. We think of it as an ugly word. We think of it as a word that, that is calling out sin. We think of it as a word uh, when people say repent, it's like you're doing something wrong. No, repent is a great word. Repent is a word of invitation. It says, look, you, you know what this path leads to. You, you know how ugly this path is. Why would you want to live in that way? Why would you want to live in a way of a world defined by hate and greed and ugliness? Why would you want to tie yourself into that world? Repent says, just turn away from it. Don't go that way. There is a path laid out here by Jesus, and he's inviting you into it. But the problem is you can't, you can't follow Jesus and keep looking at that way. And this is the problem all of us have. 
We, we look at our world and we think, oh, yeah, well, I want to follow Jesus. That seems great. We keep kind of looking, thinking, well, there's something cool over here. Repent means no, all of it. Turn it all to Jesus. One way I've said this before, and, and I, I will often say this when I'm alone and thinking about things, is that I want Jesus to wreck my life for good. Because otherwise I'm just going to keep walking down this path. I don't want that path. And that's what Peter is saying here. He says, repent. And then he says, baptized. Baptism represents that we are born into new life in the here and the now. It means that our lives are no longer about this world, but are meant to reflect the world that is to come. It's the hope of our resurrection reflected today. So baptism for everybody in here in this space When you go under that water, you're saying, I'm dead to that old way of things, the way, the the old way of life that doesn't have any hope for me. And when I come out of the water, I am resurrected into new life. And I'm following Jesus into the kingdom of heaven, the imagination of a world filled with grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. He says, Guys, this is easy. He says, I get it, you crucified Jesus. He said, you, you, you chose that you didn't want to go that path. And he says, but, but here's, here's how it happens. Here's, here's what you get. He says, I know. I get it. You realize that was a bad idea. Repent. Turn. Be baptized. And choose to follow him. Because he's not dead. You couldn't kill him. You couldn't keep him dead. He's alive, and his message is alive, and you get a second chance to follow him, and so does everybody who comes after you, and you don't have to do it on your own because the promise of the Holy Spirit is coming into that room and into this room and into your life, so you're empowered to follow him and live in a way that captivates this world. Because the old way is dead and gone. And the way of love and mercy and justice and grace and forgiveness is made alive with Jesus in your life. Last week I talked about resurrection. And I said this. If I believe in the eternal love of God, I'm going to live that out today. If I believe in the eternal presence of God, I'm going to live in God's presence today. If I believe in the eternal joy of God, I'm going to live as someone of joy. If I believe that there in heaven there is no disease, no poverty, no hate, I'm going to live my life today to rid the world of those things. And if I believe in mercy, love, and grace, I'm going to live to bring those worlds to, in this world today. That's what it means to repent and be baptized. And when Peter introduced that, And my hope is when I introduce that, that we respond to that call. And people did. That is the message Peter preached, and the people responded. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, I don't think 3,000 people in this room are going to be baptized and repent and be added to their number today. But here's what I will tell us. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to remember your baptism today. Remember that you have been born into new life. If you have never given your life to Jesus, I'm just going to ask you this. Why would you not make him your Lord and Messiah? Why follow that old path of doing things? Why not try something new? And see the love and grace and mercy that he wants to bring into this world. And you're not alone in it because you're born into this family who wants to walk that path with you. And if you've never been baptized, why not say, hey, this summer, I'm going to do that. I'm going to choose this time right now to say, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. And I'm going to say, my old life is gone and my new life is beginning. We can be a part of that story. And here's the cool thing. It didn't stop on Pentecost with their experience with a sermon or with baptisms. And it doesn't stop for us with an experience, a sermon, or baptisms. The early church grew from this moment because they began to live that out. And so the people were captivated with how they lived their lives and what they believed. And there are six verses that tell us what happened next. It says, from there they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So from Pentecost comes the birth of the church, that church. Over the next several weeks, we're going to walk through this passage together. We're going to explore what we can learn from this picture of this newly birthed church. And as we go into this next season, we're going to experience our own rebirth of the church. And we're going to look at this, thinking about these words, the kind of community that we can be. But to do that, I want to give us some fresh words. So here's a paraphrase of these words, and we're going to end with this. Listen to this. This doesn't get you excited. I I don't know what to tell you anymore. There was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In that band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took their masks off, And they shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian fellowship. This community of believers offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful, it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic, they couldn't Resist it. Good grief, guys. This community of believers offered the world a vision of life so beautiful, it took their breath away. Man, I've been in ministry for 20 years. And I have a little over 20 years of ministry life left. And I don't want to pastor a church that doesn't take people's breath away. Not because we have the coolest lights or that we have the best worship leader, though we do. 
or that we have the coolest stuff, but because we take their breath away, because we follow Jesus with such veracity and such boldness, so creatively, so dynamically, that people can't resist it. That's the kind of church we're supposed to be. Who said woo? Is that you, Kurt? Woo. And I think that's the kind of people that we can be. So we're going to explore that. We're going to see what that's going to look like over the next few weeks online as we gather together, not just in sermons, but as we fellowship together and serve together, as we worship together, and as we eat together. Somebody was brilliant. They stuck in there that something miraculous happens when the people eat together. Let's find out what that's all about. Let's explore this reality and see the family of God that he's calling us to become. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for these verses. We thank you for the time that we have to explore them. God, we ask that you would continue to move through our church, move through our lives. Don't let us be stale. Help us to be bold. Don't let us to be boring. Help us to be dynamic. God, help us to be the kind of church that takes our community, takes this city, takes people's breath away when they see what we're doing. And as we do that, help us to realize it's not anything that we do, but it's all through your spirit bringing us together in such an incredible dynamic way by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the kids in this space who are present with us. Help us to learn from them as they learn today and help us to continue to guide them because they are the future of the church. It's your name that we pray. Amen.